Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined today by Chris Hutton. Let's get started on the news of today. And the first story that we should cover is the city manager of Johannesburg, or at least uh, his appointment, which was found by the High Court in Johannesburg to be unconstitutional, unlawful, and invalid. Uh, this is the city manager, Floyd Brink, who has been the subject of some controversy in the in the, uh, the municipality for a while. Uh, his appointment was very strongly opposed by the, the, the DA um, originally, and he has been accused by um, a, a department of investigators within the city of Joburg, which has since been basically um, neutered by the, the ANC coalition government of uh, turning a blind eye towards corruption. Um, uh, he was then the acting city manager and he was placed on special leave after allegations he had disregarded the procurement process in the 320 million rand procurement of portable handhold communication devices and CCTV equipment for the public safety department. Uh, so he apparently has two weeks of which he will remain the city manager. Um, he is appealing the decision, uh, but uh, the, the, the court said the city council has two weeks to replace him with someone else. Um, this is yet another thing adding to the many woes uh, causing big problems for Johannesburg right now. Johannesburg, as I'm sure anyone living here knows, has been uh, experiencing some, shall we say, service delivery challenges, to put it mildly. And uh, the coalition has been at least more stable, I guess, than the than the sort of the, the, the multi-party charter coalition that came before it, but it's still not been uh, too great. There seems to be lots of fighting continuing to go on behind the scenes between the ANC, the PA, and the EFF uh, over positions and, and stuff in the city. Um, Chris, this is yet another blow to Joburg's kind of prospects. What do you make of this? What do you make about the politics of this? It just seems unideal, to say the least. Yeah, I think you're exactly right to, uh, right to highlight potential negatives for the, the term or the ideas of coalition governments um, and especially as we head into the elections next year, the national and provincial elections, how it looks like the ANC will get under 50% or near 50% at least and are, are these parties doing enough to convince voters to those who are disillusioned with the ANC or those who have uh, abstained from voting in the last few cycles to take a punt on a possible opposition coalition. So that's a wider risk and consideration I think very strongly factors in. I guess also when you when you have these sorts of arrangements and agreements without clearly set maybe lines in the sand or some sort of negotiables or clear clarity in terms of who gets what for how long, what That's, do we demand from each other? How do we expect each other? If you don't have that in place, how quickly it can fall apart? Exactly. The ANC in particular has complained about that in their relationship with the EFF. They say that there's no clear framework uh, for for their coalition, and they have said that that's one of the reasons why they want to get out of that coalition agreement. And that's something that the ANC's National Executive Committee um, decided uh, a, a while ago to look into. Um, I will say that, uh, that just for people who are not, not entirely sure what a city manager does, a city manager is in many ways the most important civil servant in a, in a municipality. Uh, so... The mayor um, is the sort of head political leader, but the city manager is the head bureaucrat. And he is really ultimately the guy who's supposed to run the thing. He's the real kind of CEO who's supposed to get into the nuts and bolts of stuff and make sure that everything is running. So if you don't have a city manager, or if you have one who is compromised in some way, it's 
absolute disaster for the city because it means that nothing else will function correctly. Um, any final thoughts on this, Chris, before we move on? No, just, I mean, even if one had the the sort of written agreement, that's no guarantee. You still have to go into coalition with those who are broadly aligned with your principles, et cetera, et cetera. But at least there should be some kind of agreed upon transparent document or some, I don't know, recording of all your meetings and all that sort of thing. So that at, le at the very least voters who should be the most important in this whole discussion, when these things break down, their interests, their taxes, are those being utilized well or not? Are they being served or not? Um, I think that's that's very important. And it, yeah, this doesn't look good for certain parties uh, in this whole, what has played out in the last few days. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is also likely to increase the pressure on the city of Cal uh, the city of Joburg Council to dissolve itself uh, and hold fresh elections, which is a, a call that's increasingly being supported also by various civil society organizations as well. Um, and now that would be quite interesting if we managed to have a municipal election in Johannesburg just before the national provincial elections. Uh, that would, I think, be quite a shock to the political system. And it would also give us a really interesting sort of foretaste of what we're likely to see in the provincial and national elections. But we'll have to see whether that actually comes about. Um, okay, let's move on to our next story. And this is about the National Health Insurance Scheme, which is government's plan to reform healthcare. Uh, it has been criticized by many people, including us, but Discovery Group CEO Adrian Gore has been criticizing it recently, saying that in its current form, it is unworkable, um, and this is mostly due to the funding model. He said that the only way that NHI is ever going to be properly funded is to raise another 200 billion rand, and that can only be done through taxes. Um, he reckons that this would mean raising VAT from 15 to 21%. Uh, and increasing personal income tax by, in some cases, 30% or more, which is absolutely crazy. And despite all of this, healthcare spending per person um, would only rise from 450 Rand to 680 Rand per month per person. And effectively, it would also remove all, and that's, that's government spending per person in healthcare. Um, and that would then uh, be at the cost of the 2,400 Rand spent per person in the private healthcare system per month. So in his formulation, you'd raise taxes for employed people by 30% and you'd lower their healthcare by 70% effectively. Uh, he does believe in some way that NHI could work if it was modeled more after countries like the US, Australia, UK, where there are public and private sector collaborations, um, but he didn't have any express sort of recommendations of what should be done to change it. Chris, uh, a welcome call from the private sector, if a bit late. Uh, but what do you make of this? It, it could indicate a certain level of frustration from those private sector players, such as Discovery, that have tried to engage in this NHI process for the last few years, sort of behind the scenes or through bodies like BUSA, BLSA, trying to be more collaborative with government, saying we support the idea of NHI, but not necessarily the current route what in the bill could be amended or not. And then as time progresses and government doesn't take it on board in the public hearings, the proposed amendments to the bill, none of those are taken on board. The frustration levels rise. I mean, with something like the NHI, it rep represents an existential, not just risk, but change to the both public and private healthcare sectors in the country and also to the fiscus. And you could argue to the economy as a whole, given the scope that it would entail should it be implemented. So, Discovery realizing maybe the 
the implications there. In their annual report released last week, they flagged the NHI as the second biggest risk for them um, in terms of doing business in South Africa. Number one was the cost of living crisis. And I mean, they go almost hand in hand in a way. So I want to applaud it, but I also want to say, where, where are you drawing the line now? Okay, Discovery, you've tried, you've engaged, you've used the normal diplomatic channels, as it were, the normal avenues of trying to influence policy. You still want to contribute to the country to reform. Where do you come with concessions that you demand from government? Um, if you want to reform both the public and private healthcare sectors, where are your demands and requirements? It's not just a one-way street. You represent millions of South Africans in terms of just those who pay into discovery, but also others in private medical medical uh, aids. Do you take their interests to heart or not? And what do you do with the voice and the money that you have? No, uh, the, I mean, NHI is a complete disaster for, I think, the standard of living of millions of South Africans and will make little, little difference, you know, to those, uh, to those poor South Africans. As we know, the, uh, the efficiency of government in the healthcare system is not exactly great. So I reckon that extra 230 Rand sort of, or 20 Rand spent on people per patients per month would, and that's in ideal circumstances, would very make very little difference to the actual healthcare of poor people while destroying the middle class's healthcare. Uh, so the stakes are really high here. And it's time, I think, for the private sector to not just make criticisms and say, well, you know, it's just a bit unworkable. It's like, just, all of your resources need to be put into this because otherwise the country is going to suffer a serious blow from this. Okay, uh, lastly, we're going to just talk about some logistic crisis crises hitting the port of Cape Town. Um, so the port is run, I think, uh, I think, I think ports are run by, uh, I can't remember the state and enterprise that actually runs them, but um, the Transnet Ports Authority. Yeah. They are Transnet, yes. Uh, and there are major problems at the Cape Town port. Apparently the turnaround of containers is pretty slow. Um, they have a goal to uh, to 20,000 containers a week. Um, that's how many they're supposed to receive and then turn around, but instead they're only able to turn around in some cases about 7,000 a week, sometimes 10,000 if they're lucky. Uh, they're supposed to turn around a container in four days, but in some cases, they have been turning them around in only 17 in 17 days, which is not very good. And the consequences of this are pretty bad. It looks like the uh, Western Cape in particular is going to benefit from good rains this year and have a big crop of fruit. But that's not much help for the farmers if they can't actually sell them because the ports are all jammed up. In fact, Fruit SA, which is the sort of umbrella body of a whole bunch of fruit companies and farms, says that the single largest risk factor facing agricultural exports is the inefficiency of the ports, particularly the port of Cape Town, um, and that the problems in the port have caused the number of complaints of bad quality of their produce double from 2015 to 2022. Chris, what do you make of this? Obviously not a great situation. No, absolutely not, um, given the warnings that have already been signaled from the Minerals Council of, of South Africa, how much they have lost in revenue from the ports and railways not functioning well. If you look at how important uh, produce citrus is for the Western Cape economy, for jobs and investment there, uh, a very uh, scary situation, I think, and adding yet more impetus to, yes, you want to engage with national government and entities like Transnet, but also when do you start making alternative 
plans and arrangements as as the city of Cape Town, as the Western Cape government. Um, I know there's various legal considerations. I'm not saying it's easy to do overnight, but where again do you just start moving um, to the benefit of those businesses that operate in your province and in your city? They ultimately get investment, they create jobs in a country with an over 40% unemployment rate on the expanded definition. Can you really wait for this to keep keep on keep on? I know um, at Durban Pier Two we had the the announcement earlier this year that a company based in the Philippines will come in and operate that in partnership with Transnet, but in all likelihood that's looking like it'll only be signed in April of 2024. So let's assume that best case scenario, nothing is moving then in the port of Cape Town, and we every day every month that goes by you lose business, you lose the exports, you lose the tax revenue. And also just lastly, you start to undermine South Africa's standing and those international companies and markets that rely on our produce, they're going to start to explore other options to import those from maybe places in Latin America, other other areas. South Africa, it's never a given that your markets always be there. You need to service them. If you don't, you'll lose them. That's exactly right. Okay, that is all we have time for today. We hope you found this interesting. And that's a wrap.